0: I'm Christine Russo, and you're listening to What Just Happened on Market Scale. Today, we welcome Nabil Maluli. Nabil serves as DHL, SV, Global e-commerce, and returns. Welcome, Nabil. Well, it's nice to meet you.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having
0: me. Let's get right into it one thing i know you're very passionate about as you are responsible for it in your role is returns now that was the talk for two years because with the rise in e-commerce people were businesses were completely taken off guard with the return avalanche and so i think we have we're in a better place from a footing standpoint logistically and even I think I saw a report either created by DHL or otherwise where it's identify the serial returners. There are changes going on in the industry with free returns. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What we are saying now is as you start to to see penetration of e-commerce growing, that, that problems become a bigger problem. And when we talk about a bigger problem, we're talking about a bigger financial problem, not only an operational execution problem. Last year alone, it was reported that in the US alone, we had approximately 860 billion of gross merchandise value being returned. So we're gonna probably get to the trillion this year. And where it becomes really a problem is e-commerce traditionally has the highest level of of returns in percentages right you know we have warehouses where you have 30 35 percent in in fast fashion as an example and these businesses they are built that way they are built with a, a rate of returns that is 30 percent, and that's okay it's 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 the business model but when you when you start to look at like general statistics what you see is that in 2012 2013 the the rate of returns across the industry in e-commerce was around 10 to 11%. And last year we were close to the 20%. And that's combined all industries. And so you start to have a much bigger share and you start to have have a much bigger rate across all categories. And you can say, well, what is it? I think there's a combination of factors. There is a lot of people that have experienced different type of categories of products during COVID that they were not buying necessarily online. Because they had no choice, so I could have been a buyer, a, an online buyer for ten years and never bought clothing because I just felt like, oh, I need to try it, and then suddenly, well, I have no choice, right? And so I'm like, okay, let me try it, and then I'm like, oh, this shirt doesn't look like the model is on me. Well, <laughs> guess what? You're not the only one. So that goes back, and 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 that starts to create like a, a triggering effect. I think the the other element that is very important is. And we see, we see this across the maturity level of companies. The priority for companies was, I need to increase my GMV. I need to sell more, no matter what. And that's priority for most of the e-commerce businesses. That's what they talk about, is GMV, GMV, GMV. And what happened is many companies, they actually don't discount GMV of return products. They will just write them off. And so you also have a factor that is like, well, if financially, there is still a benefit for me to show that I actually sold more items, and then I find a way to either destroy them, liquidate them, whatsoever. There is also a a challenge as to, well, how do you fix this? And do you really have an incentive to fix the problem? And I think that's also something that is driving some of the policies. That's something that is driving, making it very easy for consumers to return items, extending policies, and so on. So there was some articles around, I think it's Zara and Boohoo, that made the an announcement around their policies, and then you have all the media jumping on this, and they say, "Well, hey, guess what? this is changing. It's going to be all over the place. Well, wait a second. Yes, that's true. But then look, there are other companies that are actually extending policies of returns, and if you bought something, for example, on Amazon, you will have noticed that if you are trying to return something since probably like four weeks or five weeks, they give you until end of January to return that item. Why? Because they obviously don't want to clog. The warehouses but that that's something that is also new and they will give you extended returns period because they don't want to get this item back and they still have the money in the bank which you know makes sense right like well I, i'll keep it you know especially if it's an item that i don't really need right now to resell and because i'm not going to recover most of the value of it so i think you have these different factors that are that are playing into how companies are deciding how do they they, they manage this i think my, my ultimate comment on this is The challenge, the biggest challenge around returns is if you don't fix that, it can actually, over time, it can be really breaking down the business model from a sustainability standpoint, from a financial standpoint, because today there's a lot of mechanisms that allow you to destroy product. There are a lot of mechanisms that allow you to write off the inventory and so on. But you start to see, governments, for example, in Europe and so on, that are starting to uh, put in place regulation to not destroy manufactured products, as an example, that don't have to be destroyed. And so there is regulation on one side, and on the other side, you start to see consumers that are coming after the brands and are starting to say, well, I want you to be more sustainable, or they're going to they're favor a company that is more sustainable than another one. And so it makes no sense for you to do you know, a whole marketing journey around how great your electric vehicle fleet is, if on the back of this, you're destroying 20% of the inventory that's coming back, as soon as someone discovered that, then you have a similar like PR crisis that you've had like around many of the sustainability topics once they raise to the top. And there was just a video just made like recently by the Wall Street Journal talking about this. I think this is becoming mainstream. And I think you're gonna start to have a lot more eyes on this from a sustainability standpoint, but also from a margin Maximization standpoint, because there is obviously a lot of money there, also for companies to recover. Especially as consumers are getting more comfortable with the idea of buying, you know, secondhand items across many categories. Right? I mean, there are multiple business models out there that are all based on this re-commerce strategy, which is, you know, which is nothing more, nothing less than reconditioned items, secondhand items that have been cleaned verified and that don't sell for full value but they sell for much better value than if they were liquidated also
0: i I would agree with you if one of it going back to how we got here which is so interesting to hear what you have to say about it and that gmv has been the lead let's call it a tent pole or the reason kind of where why we are here today something happened along the way. Some company, and I don't really actually know which one, they they kept pushing customer acquisition and retention was right behind GMV. So the better, more gracious the offer was, the more likely that person was to come back. And then, so it was like, well, okay, well you can return it. You can take four weeks. Well okay, he's doing four weeks. Let's do six weeks. Okay. You can take six weeks. They're doing six weeks. Let's do eight weeks. Uh, let's do it forever. Oh, they're not charging. Oh, they're not charging for shipping. They're not charging for returns. I mean, it's like a race to the bottom, as they say. Why is there never a race to the top where we reverse this tide? Where And who's who could potentially be the one, now you're right, Boo hoo and zara and the dreaded fast fashion they're putting their foot down i don't see the rest following i actually don't see that at all i'd love to know your thoughts and what would it take and maybe it would take it's going to be very very 2022 2023 and it's just going to be totally driven by shame on social media showing the burning of product project product showing the packs and piles and stacks i'm trying to say stacks stacks of burning clothing in Ghana and and Colombia so what what is your thought I mean do you have a thought on why there's never that like race to reverse something that actually did us no good
1: I think I think there is an awareness level that is not yet there I think as as obvious or strange as it sounds people don't don't worry about this. They don't think about this. If people would think about this, you, you can ask many people actually around you. When someone tells you an anecdote and they say, oh, I just bought these five pair of shoes, I tried them and I sent four back. And on the same dinner, they tell you they are very conscious about the environment and they are not eating meat because of that. You're like, well, you know, a, do you realize that this makes no sense? because because and people will say like what do you mean like no i had no idea right they so i think it's not something that is obvious even if it is obvious but people don't necessarily think about it that's why i think the the increasing the awareness of what is happening i think is important but to be honest it's reverse reverse logistics and the topic of returns is almost one of this like it's kind of like the the unsexy part to talk about in e-commerce and so People don't really want to talk about this they want to talk even if they even if they talk about sustainability, if you look at the content produced, most of the discussion is around electrification of deliveries, eventually packaging you know you know but there is a lot of other things that are actually way more impactful than than that. If you're going to destroy an item if you if you moved it in an electric fleet or not well it doesn't it doesn't matter. Because because intimately you... So I think a, b- a big part of it is awareness. I think the second, the second part is, look, companies take decisions based on what their consumer says, right? And I think we are in an interesting time because you can read a lot of studies out there and studies will suggest that Gen Z are consumers that are way more worried and concerned around the sustainability of what they buy and, and so on. Okay, great. Now show me that in data, right? Well, we did a survey. Okay, great. If you go online and you look at the most downloaded apps in the U.S. and the the most successful companies in the fashion space, you're going to find a company called Shane, right? And so you're like, well, Shane, consumer base, is primarily that same consumer that you just said really cares about the environment. And as many people thought we were going away from hyper fast fashion, well, guess what? Now we have the ultimate a, a, a fast fashion model where inventory changes absolutely every week. It's super cheap. It's 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 uh, it has like so many dimensions. I'm not criticizing the company or the business model, but I'm just explaining that it's it's the the fundamental of what we see being told in survey do not necessarily match what actually people are doing. In some of these dimensions, and I think that's also something where, as we raise awareness, companies, when they truly see their consumers looking for that, eh, eh, and really pushing the brands to do that, and so on, eh, I think we're going to see more changes. I think there are many things that can be done before changing the policies. You know, I think the you were talking about the the, the serial returners and so on. I think before you start, because that's also a big mistake in my in my mind. Looking at it as everybody should do the same and should have the same condition is maybe not the right answer. Actually, that serial returner was one of the idea that, that I raised as part of some, some business plans that we've done with customers was, why would you change the entire policy? If you have one consumer that indeed is returning something once per year and is spending $2,000 per year, do you want to take the risk of upsetting that consumer when he's really it's like, truly genuine? when you have maybe someone that's spending like a thousand and is returning 950, just in order to have like free shipping at every shipment. Because, because that's, that will solve the problem in its largest extent, not changing the policy. That will solve the problem if you can identify who or what behavior is creating the largest problem. That's really where you should start, right? Like, like start with the 80% of the problem. And I think, I think that's where data, that's where analytics, that's where personalization of the offering could be different. I mean, you log in into your account. Well, guess what? You're serial returners. Well, the policy doesn't apply the same way for you. You know, you get an alert. I mean, these are, uh, I think, these are more realistic ideas, because there are so many companies. You sit down with the people of consumer, digital consumer, or digital e-commerce, or digital teams, whatever they, their name is. The people that are in charge of growing the GMV. The first thing they're going to tell you is number one reason of a cart drop is shipping and logistic costs that are higher than expectations second one is return policies that are not in line with what consumer expects and so right away they're gonna tell you oh do you want 60 percent of my orders to drop because we changed the policy impossible and that's why i think there is there is there is this this need but we we should be really thinking more pragmatic and not really looking at everybody apply the same way and i would make a last comment on this is the same everybody's like oh zara Did this, they are going to set the trend and so on. And the answer is probably not. Why? Because Zara is Zara. Zara is a very well-known brand. People go, they look for Zara. They don't, you don't end up in Zara because you saw a post of someone else in Instagram or in TikTok and so on. Or maybe you do, but most of of their name is already built. They have a very strong brand. They have people that love them and they have a lot of loyal customers. And on top, they have a brick and mortar network where they do accept free returns into, which is a vast network of stores. So if you don't have that, do you go and you do the same thing? Well, if if in this case, I'm gonna take the defense of the other companies. If I don't have that, maybe I'll think about it twice before I say, well, I'm gonna do the same as Zara. Great. But you don't have a store network that people can return stuff without being charged. And so you don't have that alternative. So I think it's very difficult to compare all of them in the same way. But there are definitely a need for action here that needs to happen for, for, for all the major brands because they're going to set the tone and then the others will follow.
0: In you in the work that you do, if it's part of the scope, are you are you and your team proposing solutions? Because it's very nuanced, as you've said. It's very client-specific. You are so right. Zara is actually backdooring everyone into their store to buy more because there's always something, you could always get something. It's Zara, right? When you go in to return stuff, they're 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 actually sort of negating the return by getting people to maybe do an exchange, maybe for the full amount, oftentimes for more. So zara the hero is looking to save the environment but the truth is they're just driving foot traffic to their stores do you have this type of lens and service and options and, and creative solutions that you if you're hired to do so is it part of your scope your team's scope
1: yeah absolutely so we definitely work with clients to give them you know recommendations. another i'm going to give you another example we work with furniture and the uh, decoration uh, client. Um, they came to us and they said well we have this problem with returns, you know, you can imagine when you, you when you have to ship back a carpet or a friend, it's 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 a it's a massive cost. We're not talking about like 5 to 10 dollars, we're talking about like like maybe 80 to 100 plus depending on the size of the items. And so one of the things we we sat down with them and because of course we do a lot of study also and we have a lot of insights as to how leading Organizations are doing this, and we also, you know, brainstorm and do innovation sessions and so on. But we 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 tell them, well, what about if you will offer a discount right off the bat on the return portal? So me, I get a desk. Well, actually, I don't like the desk. I'm going to return the desk, and the policy allows it. Well, what about if when I go and I say return the desk, I get a, an offer? Hey, look, we're gonna give you 20%, 15%, 10% discount immediately if you keep it. Isn't that a better actually scenario? You're gonna lose part of the of the value of the item, but you are actually just that investment will save you money compared to just returning the item, which doesn't mean that's just returning the item. You have to process it, you have to repackaging it, then so on to be able to resell it if you are able to resell it. So these are the type of ideas and type of 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 programs that we work on some of them we have a direct influence to implement but some of them sometimes they are part of of the this this wider strategic engagement that we have with them where we are not going to be the one giving a discount on their return portal as an example that's something on their on their side but that that's that's definitely something that they really like Another one we we also worked with with a client to to implement is when you return items oftentimes consumers will use the box that they have at home right or they'll use whatever they have and and obviously this is definitely not optimized packaging so you and usually you don't go for like like you know like the smaller box you, you go just for the first one you find right and that's very 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 common I would say so we we recommended them to send you know packaging which has dual tape as an example so if you send it actually the packaging is already made with the label and so on so you can simply close it back and there's already a tape there's everything into it to be able to ship it in that packaging which is an optimized packaging by the way for that product so that you know that makes you know the the experience better makes it easier but also it influenced you to ship it back because you don't need tape. You don't need anything. It has already, and it's a small detail. You'll be like, well, everybody has tape these days, you know, at home and so on, but it's small detail, but it, it, you say, oh, great. The box is already ready to send it back. Also, well, I'll send it in that box. So I think there are a lot of like tactical things like that, that we, mm-hmm. we go from very high level to very tactical in this engagements. Yes,
0: actually. That reminds me of something I heard. It's an, It was an apparel company. So let's say in that case, you're ordering three sizes because you, you never b- bought it before and you don't know, maybe you're in the middle, maybe you're smaller, maybe you're bigger. So they instituted a policy where if you don't use an AI try-on fit that they have in on their e-com, if you don't actually use it, you can't return it. If you do use it, You can. And that is an interesting way to look at furniture as well, which is use the AI, check out if it looks good in your room, make sure it fits. Can you imagine someone ordering a sofa and has to return it because they didn't measure? I mean, and then it's on you to take it back and maybe it gets damaged in the shipment. That's an insane world to live in as a a business model, the free reign of it. So. Conditional returns, I think that's what we're gonna call it. Conditional returns (laughs) based on certain criteria and certain individuals, but not across the board, blanket. That's the new way. Let's say the old way was everyone did everything and it was a race to the bottom. The new way, the way to claw out of this is conditional and it's gonna be built like not a house of cards, but really like a solid house, brick by brick with each of these things being layered on by great technology solutions that you guys recommend. I mean, there's no one more on the front lines than you guys where you have you're part of a larger organization so you know you have like visibility onto all of the all into all of the different aspects of logistics and supply chain
1: Yeah, absolutely. I like the conditional return as a a standard. I mean, one thing that I I will add, I think, Christine, I think it's a great point that you made, is we have to keep in perspective that at some point, e-commerce becomes commerce.
0: So I did a little bit of research. And what I found was that there are two divisions. And I want to see if I understand where your expertise is being applied. So there's one division that's DHL supply chain.
1: We do everything. We do last mile. We do fulfillment. Uh, basically, everything that happened from the time you push to the checkout button up to that package delivering to your home, that's what I do, uh, including if you want to return an item, everything that happened from the time you say, I want to return that item up to that product coming back to inventory or to destruction or whatever that might be. The way I would describe it is we help, I work with companies to build their consumer-facing e-commerce network. So that's what we do, basically. And we have primarily, we primarily focus on Fortune 500s, but we also work with smaller and medium-sized businesses. But basically, customers will come to us and they will say, well, I'm trying to achieve these objectives from a supply chain perspective and from an e-commerce business perspective. Obviously, I want to grow my GMV. I want to get to consumer in two days. I want to build these capabilities. How can you help me to do that? And so we help them. From the concept aspects of designing, you're gonna need two warehouses here. You're gonna need to use five delivery companies. You're gonna need to bring automation. You're gonna need to do to do X, Y, Z up to the time they say, "Yeah, I like that. I don't really want to do this. I I think this is gonna be too expensive. I like this," and then we build a solution with them, and then we implement it for them, and we execute it.
0: So you have consultative services for digitization. Absolutely.
1: retailers absolutely mm-hmm. a, an integrator of technologies so when you run an e-commerce business you do have a lot of technology elements into it you have your webshop you have your integration you have inventory synchronization your order management and so on you have your erp a, a your pos and so on and we will integrate with all these channels and all these technologies a, underneath in order to be able to orchestrate the physical move of this product and the interface between technology, digital and physical space and movements of goods. That's really where we play.
0: So as a consultative aspect, do you only recommend your services? Is it the, you know, the how to make the cake and then the cake too, or are you on the same, This what's I think very interesting for people listening is, and we need to clarify this, that you're providing consultative services like Accenture would, like Deloitte would, and you're looking at someone from a completely agnostic perspective and making those recommendations. Which one is it? It's under, we we know we want DHL and we want to figure this out and we want you to consult with us, or we're looking at this completely blank slate?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I will tell you that our main objective We don't do consultancy to do consultancy in general. The only scenario where we will do it is if a customer asks us to do that, but we are not on the market of consultancy. We go and provide this consultancy for customers that actually want us to run their business and running their business doesn't mean it's all the HL trucks and all the HL warehouses and so on. It's a lot of partners. It's playing and using the competitors for some of the areas. We look always at the best in class. The best service, best cost, in order to make the definition of what we will use in contract logistics. In in the U.S. market, we have approximately six point five seven percent market share. The second biggest company has two percent. So and then beyond that is like one percent below. So we have seventy thousand people just in that business in in fulfillment in the U.S. with like five hundred warehouses. We've been very focused on sophisticated, large-scale, premium brands that are really looking for service and quality, but our role is to orchestrate that full end-to-end.
0: Let's focus on a company that would want to have you guys as what the way you're describing it, and correct me if I'm wrong, as a third-party outsourced, full-service e-commerce provider or omni-channel provider.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's really the right way to describe it. I like to simplify my work by saying we are helping companies to bring you, you as a consumer, your purchase faster, cheaper, and in a better quality. That's, that's really what we do. And so we are in in a, in a third party space and it doesn't mean that we have to execute all of it. It could be with partners where it makes sense. It's with part of the technology is ours. Part of it is outsourced to technology best in class software providers. So we in both actually in the digital space, we have partners and in the physical space as well, we have partners. Can the other companies like UPS and FedEx do similar services? Yes, but they are nowhere close the level of automation we have and nowhere close the level of of scale we have when it comes to global coverage and also the scale of the e-commerce business overall. They are, they are very strong on domestic parcel services, but beyond that, in specifically US. Beyond that, beyond that, we are, we are far bigger in all the other dimensions.
0: So let's talk about the flattening of e-commerce business. What are you seeing?
1: Yes, yeah, so what we are seeing is we are seeing right now a excess of inventory higher. So last year we had a situation where people were worried about having enough inventory to maintain their sales. And this year we're seeing companies more worried about their ability to convince customers to basically buy as much as they did last year. We have seen in terms of volumes of order, which I think is way more interesting to look at than gross merchandise value, because gross merchandise value, you can always have the argument around inflation numbers and how much you put you know, into factoring. You know, you can show plus five or plus 8% on GMV. And people could say, "Well, that's actually the same number than last year." If you if you put if you if you put the inflation into into that GMB of 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 last year, so we look at it in terms of order volume, and across the board we've seen increases. Of course, we are not looking at the same type of increases, you know, a twenty-plus percent that we've seen the two years before, years on years. But we are still seeing like increases that go between single-digit and low-double-digit for some companies. Obviously, there is a mix. But overall, it has been actually surprisingly positive for many people that even the order volume is actually up overall. I think there is a rationale also around this, which is companies have tried to, obviously because of excess of inventory have been more aggressive, maybe on some of the discounts that they are doing and consumers because of the economic situation, even if unemployment remains super low, they have been more aware and more careful on their spend. And many consumers, I think, have waited uh, for things that they wanted to buy for this promotional period. But so far, we will close the year in a good position with positive growth, and which means our clients are also positive training.
0: And you anticipate sort of that single digit, low double digit growth over the next, well, let's say 2023. I think people are kind of holding their breath a little bit on, but that sort of, I think, would feel about the same, but I'd love your perspective on
1: that. Yeah, I, I think so. I really think so. I think we are definitely not yet into a recovery mode or where there is any major sign of of, of improvement. So I think next year is going to be really the year of transition. I think this year, you could even argue that the, the performance is actually really good because we have to keep in perspective that the last two years, you know, in the US, we've been printing an unbelievable amount of money. and People were very limited into what they can do. So the notion that even people are still buying more this year than the last two years is quite a good result, at least in my in my in my assessment, because you could have expected that people being able to travel and do other activities that they've not been able to do for the last two years, they will actually see. I'm talking like a side of the macroeconomical environment, talking just generally speaking from a behavioral standpoint, you could have expected people actually to reduce significantly their spend in physical goods and so on, and and travel and 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 go more out, which I think they are doing anyway. Uh, but actually, the numbers are still positive. So I think next year we will be in the same line. I think we will see single digits, depending on the categories, to low double digits on some categories. I would I would probably suggest an average of somewhere in like the ten to twelve percent growth uh, for the year.
0: I'm in agreement with you on the outlook for 2023.
1: Right. As companies mature their journey, e-commerce becomes commerce. There is no anymore like a special team. There is not anymore. It gets unified. And then you really just talk about like, well, it's a channel. And how do you unify the experience and so on? And so there is no doubt that at some point, you know, you'll get there where people will be like, well. You know, we should, we should simply look at ways of optimizing, and that's not anymore a race to just GMV, 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 and it's really around like, how do you optimize these flows and, and and so on. I think the companies that are able to work on these things proactively and earlier will be better positioned. And And one other thing that I think is going to be relevant is as we are going into more I mean, we, you can imagine, right? Like we are coming on the back of two years and a half, which for businesses that are selling physical products have been amazing. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's simply, it has been, you know, every single stat you look at has been a growth. That is, that is, you know, a 40, 50, 60, 70%, even businesses at large scale already, and, and the smaller businesses in the hundreds in some cases, but we we are going to come into a year of transition we already this year is already a certain level of transition next year is going to be a year of transition with smaller smaller pace and because you've built capacity it's the perfect timing actually now to really look at well i have built capacity to serve this accelerated growth now i have it now what do i do next year well i should be looking at how do i improve all this capacity that i built where the last two years I was just trying to deliver orders and and respond to the market needs. Now I have a bit of time in order to actually really improve what I have and you know and fine tune my 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 supply chain in order to be able to responding to these needs in a better way. And you know I think this is you know, this is in multi dimension, right? I mean when we talk about returns or we talk about distribution of 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 product in the first place. The use, for example, of of buy online, pick up in store, or the use of pack stations or par- parcel lockers, there are multiple ways that companies can use in order to provide a better, optimized network and a more sustainable one. And I think we are we are just getting started in that regard. I think that's a, a place that's going to still evolve and improve in a significant manner for the coming probably ten to 20, 20 years.
0: I really like that. I really like your perspective that we're just getting started because, well, let's hope that, like you said, that next year retail gets a break because it's been, you know, one year after another. And in some cases, I think we thought there was a lot to be said about 2022 coming out of COVID. It was going to be the roaring 20s and the bottom literally fell out. So once again, instead of just doing the things you plan to do, in retail and e-commerce you're pivoting scrambling whack-a-mole oh this problem got that here's a new one and you know sort of the only constant the only thing in life what's the it's the only thing in life that you can count on is change i don't know what (laughs) to say i've already used one pun this call so that's it am i i can't use any more. but there has not been that breath to stop and say okay well what do we do now and That's what you're sort of prescribing and sort of uh, hoping for in that sense. And that leads to a lot more strategic analysis rather than reactivity and planning out rather than sort of having to constantly keep up. So we can only really hope for that. And I just wanna thank you so much for your insights and all that you had to share.
1: Thank you, Christine. It was a pleasure to be on the podcast.
0: It's my pleasure. Thank you, Nabil.